You're listening to Between Two Ravens, a Norse mythology podcast with Sean and David. Hey, Sean, how's it going? David, it's going well. How are you? I'm good. It's been a, we've had a few nice days here where it's really warm, can get outside, and then it alternates with windy, cold days where it's it's just not nice to go outside. So I kind of getting out, getting out, getting some sunlight, but yeah. Yeah, it was uh, 67 degrees here in Virginia today. So by the way, in this area, and I know you grew up in Southern Maryland as well, so very close. In the summers, the humidity here is absolutely horrible. And I actually may have mentioned this in a previous episode because it's all I talk about sometimes. But during this part of the year, I love the fact there's no humidity, but I also hate the fact that to walk my dogs, I need to put sweatpants or jeans on. Um, Because since we started working from home, I've I've grown very used to having gym shorts on all the time. So today was nice because it was 67 degrees, not humidity. And I was able to just walk right outside um, with the gym shorts on and, and be my best self, which is my comfortable self in gym I, shorts. I imagine moving out to uh, out West, moving out to Colorado and then back, the humidity is much worse, much more intolerable than it was when you when I grew up there. You, you don't, don't know anything different. So people are like, oh, 80% humidity is terrible. I'm like, I don't know. That's every day. So <laughs> yeah, And then it's like you sweat if it's 75 degrees out in humidity. And yeah, yeah like we, we moved back like two and a half years ago and we just bought a house, but we're already talking about like in four or five years moving up to New England or something like that. So just to get away from uh, this weather in the summers. And the traffic. But- don't get me started on DC traffic if you live around there. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, and today there was supposed to be a trucker convoy coming to DC, similar to how there was in Canada, but we can just leave it at that. It didn't, no. it wasn't as effective as in Canada yet. So I've been, I've been avoiding the news as much as I can. I just see little bits here and there. And uh, that's kind of like with, with Facebook too, as you're not going to see anything good on Facebook, but I'll look at, I'll look at Reddit to see the memes because I got to know what memes are going on, but otherwise I think memes are, yeah, it's very, it's a very millennial generation thing. And yeah. I also think it's part of the, our generation of millennials to uh, try to, pretend that we're still in our early twenties, which we're not. So I think memes are kind of like us trying to convince ourselves that we're uh, Gen Zers. I think that's the next generation, right? And then sometimes I got to read the news to figure out, cause I don't understand the memes and I like, yeah, you have to kind of actually keep up with current events to understand <laughs> the memes. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And it's sometimes just better to focus on making dinner for your family. So yeah. um, focus on the things you need to pay attention to, right? Yeah. That's probably, probably one of the wisdoms of Odin says that in there somewhere. Don't yeah, don't absolutely. Think about the trucker convoy in Canada too much. Cause it doesn't actually affect me. But. Yeah. I think he would be the first person to say, you know what? You can't control it. Just live your life and, you know, try to make, <laughs> try to like wake up early so you can steal stuff from your neighbor the next day. So John, what are you drinking today? So I'm, I'm drinking a 90 minutes Imperial IPA from Dogfish Head, which is based out of Milton, Delaware. 90 minutes and they have like a 90 minute IPA, a 60 minute IPA, 120 minute IPA. It's a good go-to to have and 90 minute is considered like one of the stronger ones. So it's one of those weeks, but you remember what the 90 minute refers to? I think I know, but I'm not hundred percent. I actually don't. I, I do. The only thing I know about that is if you go to like a brewery or like one of the dogfish head breweries and you ask for a 75 minute IPA, yep. they're going to mix a 90 minute IPA and a 60 minute IPA. I think if I'm correct, it's how long they boil the wort or basically all the, uh, the malt grains with the bittering hops. So the more time you spend boiling with bittering hops, it's going to get more bitter. So I think that's right. Someone will probably tell us if I'm wrong. Well, no, that's awesome. You, you actually somewhat brewed a little bit. I know like through different parts of your life, I brewed two things in my life and they were both okay at best. Yeah. So I actually, 
I actually got to a point where I started making up some of my own recipes, not just using the kits, but you got to start with the kits to know what you're doing right. Part of it is to make sure you do your sanitation right. If you're going to do boiling, I don't know how this applies because the Vikings, I'm sure uh, would have been hard to have excellent sanitation when you're making beer, but it's very important with modern brewing because you'll just get off flavors or it'll be absolutely terrible, but you don't want anything wrong going in your, uh, in your brew. Yeah. I wonder how many people like try to brew their act, their own beer. Um, but only use like ingredients and tools that, you know, the Scandinavians had during the Viking age. And then I wonder, like, they, they just make it, they try it and they hate it. And they're there's like, nah, one, it wasn't good. There's one beer out of England. I want to say it's called Samuel Smith. You usually find it just one large bottle. Like it's not a six pack. It's a single large bottle. Uh, they have things like a, an oatmeal stout and a, a cider, I know. And, and they use like, yeah, an old stone brewing. It's not a kettle because it's just a giant like thing of stone. That's cool. I don't know, from the 1800s or 1600s or something earlier, and they still do it with that old style. So I want to say that's called Samuel Smith, but uh, they don't they don't pay us to say that. I just uh, used to like their beer a lot. Yeah. Well, yeah, it reminds me of Samuel Jackson. Well, no, Sam Adams. Sorry, Sam Jackson is from the Dave Chappelle skit. Um, but Sam Adams is a very Samuel common Jackson. name. The Samuel yeah, Jackson makes his own uh, yeah. beer. Give him an idea. We can cut that out. I, I know you probably won't cut that out of the episode, but I'm hoping that you will. So yeah, another update. Uh, and we we recently have edited some of our earlier episodes I, I want to say like the first three or four of them were not edited. So it was just us talking and us publishing the results of that. But since then we started editing out um, a lot of the episodes to remove the numerous times where I keep saying, um, and so a lot of them are shorter um, because I say, um, a lot, obviously. So I think the amount of ums that I say in any episode equates to maybe like five minutes each episode. So um, I do think that in listening to those episodes, we have gotten better over time, which is is pretty cool to think about because as Odin would tell us that that's the main thing to, you know, become stronger, become more powerful. And just a, just an update for everybody. We did re-edit those episodes. And Sean, should we go to the topic for today, which is the the magic runes, which I've been looking forward to talking about the runes for a while. And it sounds like you've been getting pretty, uh, getting pretty into it as you've been researching for it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, so here we go. Over the last three episodes, we've discussed the poem Havamal, which is found in the Poetic Edda, in a poem in which the speaker, Odin, offers life advice to the listener in a similar fashion of an old man offering advice to a younger one. He discusses his experience successfully and unsuccessfully wooing women, how you should act around strangers, how drunk you should get at parties, and offers somewhat ominous or in some cases maybe comforting thoughts about life immortality, like one day we all die, and all that matters is reputation. He enters the final part of the poem explaining to the listener, Ladfafnir, how he sacrificed himself to himself via hanging in order to learn the runes, runes which resulted in him becoming more powerful and stronger. So in these episodes, because there's probably going to be two of them, we are going to further dive into the runes themselves specifically where they are noted in the sources. We're going to talk about our thoughts on whether or not the Norse thought the runes they carved into the rune stones were actually magical, modern day use of the runes intentionally or not, and whether or not the runes tie into the idea of reputation that Odin discusses in Havamal, among other things. Um, so how does that sound, David? Nope, that sounds good. Yeah, that, that's the... Uh... What I've been looking into a lot over over a month is that question of how do people actually use the runes modern day? And somewhat it has to do with the ideas of either witchcraft or magic. You know, how does that tie into spiritual practices? That's another thing I've been reading. Um, 
Matthias Nordvig's book on Asatru for beginners, which is the, mm-hmm. the Aesir, is the, the faith of following the Aesir, basically. And that, he, that he's actually somebody who's practiced that since he was born, that his parents were somebody who believed in the old gods, right? And, yeah. and he talks about an interesting idea of, of, he says that Americans have a different view of looking at belief than how um, he does, and probably than a lot of Europeans do, that we're very focused on the, this idea, like to believe it, it has to be true, right? And it has to be like exactly the way we understand it to be versus trying to, you know, believe in something that's hard to understand, right? It's like the idea of faith doesn't mean necessarily that you just believe everything blindly, like, oh yes, I believe that's all factual and exactly the truth. Mm-hmm. It's just that you have some kind of a hope that there's more out there than just that we're just bags of uh, skin and bones that walk around and then we're worm food, right? Like you have mm-hmm. some kind of faith that life is something more than that. It's not just that, right? It's a very crass way for me to kind of put it, but basically it's that th- these come into ideas of like spirituality, right? Which is a very weird thing to talk about, but that's, that's what I've been thinking about as I question, what do people, because the kind of the subtitle of the podcast, right? Is the psychological significance of Norse mythology. So what is, why are this, this idea of runes, you know, very significant to people? That's what gets me interested mm-hmm. in all of it. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, it obviously, at some point, if there's stories written about the runes in which like the Norse gods look at the runes, like the, the Norse gods themselves look at the runes as a source of power, like specifically Odin, or we're going to talk about it briefly, or we t- we have talked about it previously in the poem Rigsthala, where Hemdal or Rig is also very well-versed on the runes. It obviously meant something to the people that practice this religion. So any modern day interpretation of this religion, you know, whether it's Asatru or, you know, Norse paganism, to be to be honest, since I'm not, I don't practice the Norse religion, I'm not sure what the best way to describe it is, but it the runes obviously mean may mean something to them as well. So I, I think it's it's a very cool topic. I I was going into this episode, you know, not knowing very much anything about them. I knew that they were considered powerful. I knew that you know, the Norse use them as a way to write things down where writing was not widespread to them, but in researching them and then thinking about like what they potentially meant to the writer or the individual, and then tied it into like how we today look at writing in general to give things power, it, it, it ended up in my mind become like a very cool topic of conversation. So David, I know we discussed this pre- like earlier, we were going to have like one 40, 45 minute episode, but I think this one deserves like maybe a two-parter. <laughs> so well, I think it might be two, like 40, 45 minute episodes to discuss like everything involving the runes. No. And, that, and that's something I'd wanted to say too, was that there's this idea that with, you know, we talked last week, Odin taking up the runes as a phrase you'll see repeatedly when you learn about people trying to understand, interpret, make sense of the runes, this idea of taking up the runes, right? You don't just learn it once and know everything about it. There's you know, all the myths. We're going to talk about some of the myths in a moment, influence it. And that's what I, I kind of experienced this almost a, a month ago, as I saw where we were going with the Havamal and Odin, it ends with Odin taking up the runes while well, I started trying to figure out making sense of the runes. And so my own process of taking up the runes is something I'm kind of writing about and figuring out, is it, is it a blog post or do I write like an ebook on it? Because it's my own personal journey, making sense of it. And then today I see Sean is taking up the runes and he's like, oh, wow, this is a lot more, it has more power than like you thought at first. Right. And so that's like a, I experienced it, you know, a month ago. And then I see you're like, oh, wait, this is really interesting. This is really something about this. Right. People might have that own, their own experience with that as they listen to our podcast. If, if it interests them enough, they go read more. Right. Yeah. I, I think this is funny because you're, you're talking about like something that you recently became um, interested in and you're talking about writing a book about it already. Right. And like, I know we're actually going to use this as a source for the first time 
since we started the podcast, but, uh, you know, I, I know I mentioned, I recently got the saga of the Icelanders and I'm here, like wondering how I'm going to get through this like huge book of 750 pages. Um, and you're already talking about writing a book on the runes, I'm, I'm um, something which is, be, I think less than 50 pages. It's not going to be anything crazy because <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to get it done. Yeah. Uh, have you ever seen the show curb your enthusiasm? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, there was like one season where uh, Larry David, who's playing himself, like wants to reunite the cast of Seinfeld. And I guess, uh, what's the, guy, the guy's name who plays George? Jason Alexander. Yeah. Jason Alexander, yeah. <laughs> so the guy in that like real timeline and real, I'm doing that in quotation marks. Yeah. But Jason Alexander recently wrote a book, How to Act Without Acting. And Jerry Seinfeld and Larry David are joking, are making jokes about it, how it's like a pamphlet. Yeah. And he's like, well, I mean, if it's you're acting without acting, then you should you didn't even need a book at all. It could just be a blank page. And that's pretty much what you did. And it was just kind of like a funny scene that I just got reminded of. But yeah. no, that's my plan. How to write a, a book about runes with I mean, that's the whole idea. How do we get the podcast started? Let's just sit down and record ourselves talking on Zoom. And that's a show. Right. So I'm just going to yeah. write something. And then if it's really good, maybe I'll keep adding more to it later. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let's cool. jump into so, the, the myths that kind of talk about some of this whole idea of the runes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so I might as well get like Rig. I know I mentioned Rigsthula earlier, and again, Rigsthula is um, the primary poem that we use in our understanding of Hemdal, who is the father of the social classes, and it's an episode that we did last month. Um, by by the end of the episode, where Rig gives birth to like the noble class, um, his grandson ultimately becomes Rig himself because he becomes very well versed in the runes. And I know we made a joke, or not a joke, we made a comment at the end of that episode about how the character of Rig or Hemdal, you know, may have some ties to Odin himself. Yeah. But anyway, like in that in that poem, you get to see that, you know, the runes are considered something that are known, you know, by maybe like a noble or somebody that is very powerful. Was it that um, that grandson was the one named King? Is that right? I believe so. Um, I yeah, I know we did the episode on it. So some, I think it was something that was, stood out. It was that um, somewhere I read that it stood out that it wasn't the oldest son that got to be king. It was the one who understood the runes, right? The one who had the wisdom. They decided mm -hmm. he'd make a better leader. You, you don't just get to be the leader because you're the firstborn. It's the one that understands the runes, right? So that's yeah, something there. Yeah, 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 definitely. And I think it was. I think like I think the noble class was Rig, and then he gave birth to Lord, and then Lord gave birth to King. Yeah. Or something like that. So I do, I do think you're right there. I know we met, like we talked about Havamal, obviously, for the last three episodes, Odin learns the runes and he lists out about 18 of them, or he lists the spells that he, le he learned as a result of knowing the runes after nine days and nine nights hanging himself from the tree Yggdrasil. Um, so we, we, we talked about that. And I know in a previous episode, I believe it was the episode on Namir, we discussed the poem uh, Sigurd Ifumal, which is a part of the Poetic Edda. It's not a it's not a, it's not a part of the first half of the Poetic Edda, which deals with stories of the gods. It actually deals with the the poems on the heroes, specifically the family of the Volsungs. So in Sigurd Fumal, stanzas six through nineteen, runes are mentioned that that sort of are very are very similar to the spells that Odin has listed in Havamal. So in this poem, you learn about different runes, you learn about where you need to write these runes down and what the result is. So they mentioned victory runes, which you have to put on your sword to be victorious in battles. Yeah. They mentioned beer runes, which is obviously one of my favorite, on yeah. your drinking horn 
to prevent curses. I'm sorry, David, go ahead. No. And that's, um, so to, to tie in, I'll, I'll mention more about what the runes really are, but I'll just, as Sean's mentioning this, right. How then I interpret what that means, right. Cause they don't, they don't tell you what rune it is exactly in the poem, right. But it says there's a victory rune. And then given everything that I've read, they say a lot of times on spears, you would see the rune for a letter T, but it looks like, it actually looks kind of like a spear, but it also stands for a uh, tear. So they might call the rune uh, Tiwaz, but it, it's basically the rune for the god Tear. And he's also a god that would be involved in warfare and yeah, being victorious in battle, right? So you put this little spear shape on there and like, well, maybe it's just a spear shape because it's a spear, but maybe it means that too, right? And then I looked up what beer runes are because I read about the 24 <laughs> runes of the elder Th- uh, Futhark is what they call yeah. their, their alphabet because it starts with F-U-T-H-A-R-K or the first letters. Um, is why it's called a Futhark. That I, I never heard of beer runes as I went through that. But so the one thing I saw was that it was a very common phrase written in the runes, uh, A-L-U. It's almost the word ale, A-L-E. So I think that was there. And so that was the either Germanic or the Norse word for ale. But then also it's interesting because they're the, the letters that make it up. The letter A generally stands for the Aesir or for Odin. Mm. The U stands for like a Doomla, right? Which is the, the cow who's the mother of all creation, basically, right? Of Hashtag all free Athuma. Yeah. And then in the middle is the L, which is the, the L either stands for a lake or for a leak. So the L either, it's you know, either a rune about water, or there's this idea that a leak, if you dipped it into your drink, then you wouldn't get a curse. The, like the leak would take the curse away. And that was a magic thing that apparently they did back then. So just as you're reading that, right, it's, it's like, they might've just wrote the word ale because it's ale, but then maybe it has all this meaning underneath. It's a very, very like deep topic of basically this idea of just yeah, the symbols, right? As we talked about that, the, the, you know, like in the poem, they might just be talking about giants or when they say giants, they might be talking about chaos, right? So that idea, are these mm-hmm. runes just letters or are they symbols that stand for things? Yeah. Yeah. And it, I'm, I'm thinking about the ALU and yeah. if it's like a Thumla, like a lake and then the Aesir, I'm wondering because like a Thumla nourished Ymir, yeah. the god, Lake is a liquid, right? Right. So it's kind of like, so the, like the you're you're praying to the mother and father Odin and Athumla to uh, watch over your drink, right? That's one way to to say that phrase, right? Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll drink to Athumla next time I have a say <laughs> a sip here, which is going to be in a couple right. seconds. Um, and another thing on that note, because um, I know we briefly mentioned older and younger Futhark uh, last episode, and I, I mentioned that there were sixteen spells that Odin mentioned at the end of Havamal. And then you actually tied it into the the younger Futhark, which is 16 characters. And I think you mentioned the older is 24. And then you tied the 16 spells into the 16 letters in younger Futhark. And then in researching this episode, I was like, shit, there's 18 spells. And I just feel so bad for you. And I feel like the Michael Caine Batman meme where I like failed you. And I think I failed our listeners as well. Well, let's double check because the younger Futhark (laughs) is it. It no, is it's 16. 16. Yeah. No, it's, yeah. they don't, they don't line up perfectly, but then I like that. I caught that a uh, 16 is a powerful number, symmetrical number, all of that, but uh, yeah, definitely. But also I failed, I failed our listeners. It'll be, it'll be fine. They'll, yeah. they'll adapt. <laughs> um, anyway, so beer runes on your, you put them on your drinking horn to prevent curses. There's one life saving runes, which you put on your palms um, to save women in childbirth which I think is interesting because like if you're a midwife or a nurse and you deliver babies, you use your hands to catch the baby wave runes on your ship to protect yourself from the sea. And I think that this is, 
I kind of like laughed when I went over this one because there may be, you know, modern day pagans that you that use runes in their rituals. And we know that based on like old rune stones that still exist today, runes were used, you know, in the Viking age. But this one in particular made me think of the fact that even in modern day times, you're unintentionally, unintentionally, excuse me, giving power to like runes or writing if you like put a name on a ship or put a name on your boat because you say it's bad luck not to name your boat. So when it comes to like modern day use of the runes, I think in this case, people are unintentionally like giving power to something, even if they don't necessarily think their ship's going to sink if they don't name it. Right. There's a, there's a superstition there. Right. And then yeah. and I, I think I was telling you earlier that likely what the rune is for, you know, for good sailing, it's a, an S shape and they call it. So willow, but it basically stands for like the sun, like solar. Right. Mm-hmm. And that you write that on your boat. And it's when you're thinking about, I hope we're going to have a nice sunny day where we can travel well and it's not cloudy and storms and ice and, you know, the, the sun comes out and everything will be nice. Right. So you're just, it's, it's a nice thought you have as you carve a little S on your ship. Right. But then uh, I was telling Sean too, I, I can't actually remember why they, you know, will call a ship like the, you know, the SS St. Anne or something like that. I don't know if it's because of that or not. I should have looked it up. But. Well, I think it's it's funny you say that because like you can, and like, I think if you look at runes, you know, if you're carving runes, it's harder to like use a pencil and to like put curves in letters. Yeah. Um. So a lot of times they may like have this like very sharp, like, or straight line shape and S's can be like that. And I just like picture when you told me that I pictured like myself, like building my own boat and like having it be like no better than a raft and like pulling up next to like an, a battleship called like the SS enterprise or something yeah. like that. And just being like, what gives your boat power over mine? And yeah. of course they'll, they'll like have guns that could kill me, but they'll like point to like the SS enterprise and say, well, I I'm sanctioned by like the United States government to like but like kill you if I need no, to. So most important power for the boat though is to not sink, right? So that's that's the that's the power you're looking for. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But like I just think it's funny. Like if you look at the naming on boats, it's like it, it's probably given ceremonies, like in the military or just in general. And like you like christen a boat, and like it just reminded me of like this rune mentions the wave runes. Um, another, another you want to protect yourself. Uh, yeah, it's another thing I didn't explain that with the runes, because um, if you look them up online, they're all very angular. And so one thing you'll catch is they never have a horizontal line. So even like for the letter H, you think of a capital H in English, they make sure that it's actually a diagonal. Uh, They'll have vertical lines, but no Mm -hmm. horizontal. It's because the theory at least is that they were carving these on wood a lot. So you don't want to go to carve uh, with the wood grain because one, that line would kind of blend into the wood grain. You couldn't read it as well. And also if you're just like carving with a chisel, the pieces would chip out easier. Mm -hmm. So if you're doing all vertical and and, uh, diagonal, then it's, easier to carve these letters on wood. So they weren't writing them with pen on paper. It was carved into wood and then carried over. Eventually they'd carve them into stone as well. But uh, yeah, yeah. Side, side thought. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so we can, we can move along. Um, the next one is limb runes, which you put on tree bark um, to be able to heal wounds, which I think is interesting, just like yeah. tying in trees to, you know, healing their speech runes to prevent enemies from taking vengeance on you. And I wanted to like quote the actual poem here for the speech runes, wind them around, weave them around, set them all around at the court where people go for judgments. So again, this is a Jackson Crawford's translation of the poetic Edda, but I'm wondering if like the speech runes also could be looked at as poetry, which in our episode on the meat of poetry, we also know that verbal words yeah. can be can, like contain power, power as well. Like, 
Odin got the meat of poetry from Gunlod, drank it, and became he like his ability to speak. I guess it's speak in verse or speak in general became more powerful. That's one of the things. Um, I forget, I think I mentioned in an early episode the idea of uh, Marduk is apparently one of the first gods they've ever found in like looking at historical you know, carvings and early writings of just of mm-hmm. humanity. It was one of the first gods, I think out of the middle East, but oh, his really? powers were that he could, he had eyes all around his head. He could see everything. That's actually the idea that why the uh, King's crown has to have gems going all the way around. It's all of the eyes of Marduk that are Kings and Queens that we still have some places in Europe still do that. So he could see everything. He could see you coming from behind him. Right. And he spoke words of power. Basically he could say things and bring them into being. Right. So that's, a common thing to see both yeah that like that your words have power or maybe sometimes you feel like they don't but when you can speak with authority and with power what does that oh, yeah. accomplish right so that's both a a statement of what is needed for gods but also for people to be powerful right yeah yeah no definitely um and that also reminds me of like how murdoch has many many eyes around his head and odin's just trying to gain some wisdom and he had to sacrifice one so he's only got one left right but then it's that he, he gets this, right, as you, I think you mentioned that last episode, right? That he, he loses one eye, but then it says in the poem somewhere that he could see everything then afterwards. He could see the truth better, uh, even though only with one eye, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so moving, moving forward with the speech runes, I included that quote because it doesn't say where you need to put these speech runes. It says, wind them around, weave them around. And like, so maybe that these are the words like, you know, going around your tongue and your mouth, like before you convey them. But in the word weave them around, I just want you to hold on to that for a second because it ties into something I'm going to say from Velaspa as well here in a second. Um, but before that, we're going to go into the next rune, which is the mind runes, um, which you need to be wiser than any man. Odin read them. Odin carved them. And keep in mind that that um, that that verb carved. Odin thought them up from the liquid that leaked from the skull of Hythdropner from the horn of Hadrofner. So those are the mind runes. And why I thought these last two, why I wanted to read these last two stanzas um, in particular is because I think they tie into Voluspa. And I also think that what you read in Voluspa, it, it like indicates that the norms in like in weaving the, the uh, strings of fate of humanity and gods, it could be them also carving these runes into the tr- trunk of Yggdrasil in order to like determine people's fates. So I'm going to go into Voluspa stanzas 19 and 20. I know an ash tree named Yggdrasil, a high tree speckled with white clay. Dewdrops fall from it upon the valleys. It stands forever green above earth's well. Three wise women live there by that well under that tree. Earth is named one. Another is Firthandi. Another, excuse me, the third is named Skald. They carve men's fates. They determine destiny, destiny's laws. They choose the lifespan of every human child and how each life will end. So if you take these last three stanzas that are less, um, you know, three quotes that I took from Sigurd Fumal and then Valaspa, it kind of indicates that the runes themselves may be tied to fate. In this case, the Norns are carving the fate of men and gods into the tree. So I know that might be like a stretch on my end, but David, I'm not sure no, what your thoughts I see, are. I see the idea of fate come up all the time. Um, one thing, just as you're talking about carving them on like on sticks, that one of the poems says, I don't know if it was actually that poem or another one, but I was just seeing it today, that the Norns, when every child is born, they're going to carve some runes on a stick. And that says something about your fate, 
right? So, and then just as I'm saying it now, it reminds me of there's a Greek myth. It's not Achilles, but it's one of the other heroes. And he's like immortal. He can't be harmed, but some kind of a witch figure, kind of like the Norns, gives his mom a, a log that says, if this log is ever burnt up, he will just die on the spot. But as long as the log is not burnt, he will be like an immortal demigod that can go into any battle and never be killed, right? So it's weird that it shows up something, you know, there's this stick and it tells you about your fate and when, when it's going to, when your life's going to end, right? And it's in Greek myths, but then it's showing up here. And then as I'm reading uh, Matthias Nordvig's book on the Asatru for beginners, mm-hmm. and he talks, he has, I think I find it funny because he says like, you know, people ask him, so does that mean that you think Thor is up there in a chariot every time there's thunder? And he's like, that's, that's not quite actually how he believes in you know, the Norse gods, not like he really thinks, like I said, an old episode that Odin's going to walk into the room right now, right? It probably doesn't work that way. But he says the belief in fate is very much uh, part of his, you know, spiritual belief. And also that idea that you have maybe a part that is inherited to you. And and this is, you know, not too different, I think, from how we know life works, right? There's part of your fate that comes from who your parents were and the situation you're born into. There's part that maybe makes you a unique individual, right? That is different from that. And then maybe there's this third part of your fate and there's, you know, uh, Nordic words to go with each of these, but I, I'm not going to attempt. But then the third one is the, the luck that you make yourself, right? That sometimes in life you can make your own luck, right? You can't always, you, you can't actually decide your fate, but are there yeah. places where you get to shift it a little bit one way or another, right? And it's kind of like building your character, right? Your character somewhat comes from what you're born into, but somewhat you can affect your personality and your character like Sean said earlier, to be a better version of yourself, right? So as I read all these ideas and they're linked to the runes, this was part of where all the ideas that led to me thinking of a book connect is that idea, how would that actually work, right? How do you change your, your personality, your character? How could somehow the runes tie into that? It's a very strange idea, but I think that that's what Odin wanted to know, right? When he learns the runes, he wanted to know, how can I change my fate? And it's not be exactly what uh, the Norns told me it was going to be, so... That's a, and is then, then is that kind of magic? Because most people think you can't change your personality. That's kind of psychology theory that you're fairly stuck with it. It might change gradually over time, but yeah. Yeah. No, it's an interesting thought. Um, and, like, and again, like I know when I may, may have discussed this last week, but in discussing like Odin's, like kind of destroying himself to become more powerful by learning the runes, like I'm wondering how much of this was just him focusing on bettering himself and learning from his mistakes, which is the human journey, right? In discussing his experience, like with Gunlog, or excuse me, Billing's daughter, where he failed to um, seduce Billing's daughter, and then him successfully seducing Gunlog, like, again, like, you know, I'm wondering, I'm wondering, like, if that was him just learning how to speak to women in general, or something like that. Yeah. And so, like, when... yeah, I made a joke about that when I was typing to you earlier. I'm gonna try to think what I what I had said there. Uh, might be somewhere in here. Yeah, but like, and then like, if you look at some of his other spells that he learns, like being very efficient in battle or being able to hear heal somebody in battle, how much of this was because he practiced hard? He he like drove himself insane to like learn how to like be good with a sword or something like that. Oh, that that and, was one of my um, my thought was you know. Does he really have a spell to make women fall for him? Or is it that he learned kind of the secrets of how to be confident and be a better version of himself? And then people just naturally found him more attractive because he bettered himself. There's a very common spell. And it's kind of some of the ones you referred to earlier. In some places, they, I think it's in the, uh, the Havamal, they refer to it as the spells to dull a sword. And mm-hmm. I still don't know what that one means. And it might just be poetic, right? Because what 
what dulls a sword, what gets a person to be less warlike and wanting to destroy you. Maybe it's something like kindness, right? It's some kind of something like, you know, the spell is, is love or something that makes a person feel less like they need to cut you with a sword, but it dulls their sword. It puts their sword away, right? That it was talking about poetry, right? Maybe that's correct, right? Because yeah, otherwise I, I can't find a rune that says it's going to dull the sword of your enemy, but maybe I'm just not looking in the right place. I'll have to keep asking. But. Yeah. And it just, but also it reminds me of, I think that was Havamal because it reminds me of how like all those spells I could like easily see, like be applied to the Elder Scrolls video game universe and like, oh, this is a ward spell. You're going to ward off attacks through this spell or you're going to increase your speech crafts through this spell. And I, I just thought that was very funny, but should, um, what do you think, Sean? Should I talk a little bit about what I heard about the early history of runes? And then you can get into some of the things you were talking about with the, that you looked up today with like the rune stones and some of the like the things we know from history of how they were actually used. Yeah. So real quick, I'm going to go into this one last source if that yeah. works. No, let's do that. Um, and the reason I wanted to do this, because I, I know I mentioned earlier that I, I purchased the Saga of the Icelanders and I've read a few of the um, myths like I, I wrapped up the um, Vinland sagas, uh, the saga of the Greenlanders, and one of the early parts, one of the huge stories of the saga of the Icelanders is Eagle Saga, which features a character named Eagle Skallagrimson. And in my like, I haven't gotten to this part of the book yet, but in my research for this episode, I realized that um, Eagle is considered, you know, very effective with runes. He knows the runes and he knows how to use them effectively. So specifically in chapter 73, I, like which I'll give you a brief summary. I'm not going to quote the entire thing right now, but in chapter 73 of Eagle's saga, which is found in the saga of the Icelanders, Eagle travels to a town called Eidiskog, which I looked up is actually a town in Norway. Um, and he supped with a man named Thorfinn, which I believe Thorfinn owned a farm. Thorfinn's daughter Helga was sick. Eagle looked into it to see what was making her sick, and he noticed that there was a whalebone with runes written on them in the bed. Um, the runes themselves were written by a boy who wrote them incorrectly, which led to her feeling worse. Eagle shaved off the runes and burned the whalebone. Then he wrote his own runes for her, which made her feel better. Um, which I thought was interesting. So Thorfinn's daughter Helga got better because Eagle is a, is apparently better with runes than this other boy in town who did it incorrectly. So it implies that skill with the runes themselves is necessary. So like if you look at Odin or Hendal in their use of the runes, it's going to be more powerful than you, David, um, mm -hmm. who read about the runes last week and thought it was funny that the weather was snowy. Right. Um, so I think it's, it's interesting because like somebody that does take time to learn the runes and perfect the runes is going to be very effective at it. Yeah. Um, so I just wanted to add that part to introduce the saga of the Icelanders, but also to tie it into this episode on the runes. Yeah. One piece is I, I think of that part of being effective with the runes, right. As part of it's like, goes back to that knowing fate or working with um, it's a phrase I like from the stoic kind of, it's almost the spirituality that underlies the Greek stoicism like living your life in accordance with nature, right? So as you said, you have that boat, you want to take it out, you want it to be a sunny day, and you're carving that S. Part of that process, right, you're hoping for the, the weather to stay good. But also if you look and you notice like it's a really bad day for taking your boat out, maybe that's the time where you're contemplating, you're carving a, a symbol into your ship. That maybe it's then like to realize like, you know, I'm not powerful enough to change the weather from it's storming right now and just I carve an S and everything becomes sunny, right? It's partly like a process to pay attention to what's going on around you, right? So it's like, you can't shift the weather from everything's perfect out. It's the middle of June and you're like, I want a snow day tomorrow and I can do a spell to get that, right? But if it's, 
well, it's going to snow and I'm you know, <laughs> wanting it to be just a little bit extra, right? To get that snow day, right? And, and maybe more so than actually that you make it become a snow day that you've stopped and you thought about it. Do you really enjoy and appreciate that snow day the next day, right? Enough that yeah. it stayed in your mind and you, and you care about it a lot, right? So that's one of those ideas of working, you know, in accordance with the, with the fate versus trying to do something completely opposite. Yeah. Um, anyways, going back to like a more, a more practical idea for people who have no idea what we're talking about with runes, right? We're, me and Sean are very excited about it now. So we've just been <laughs> talking about all the cool things we're learning about, right? So the idea with the runes is that they're, they're a letter, a system of letters, right? Like the alphabet that actually the history of them. Um, I don't have my specific sources, but I, cause I've read, I've read all these little different things all, along the way that they originate from kind of proto-Latin. So before Latin was even a formalized written language, that there was the root language of, you know, several of these forms of writing that was being used, especially in Northern Italy. And then it kind of passed through the Germanic areas, um, eventually then up into uh, Norway, the Scandinavia. And it was that, you know, it seems like the, the Germanic people, they weren't necessarily like instructed on how to write right away, right? As we talked about, it was really like a thing maybe clergy had, that nobility had, not everybody knew how to write. But we've talked about this idea, you know, the Vikings saw this and they, they knew there was something powerful about this writing, right? The people who knew how to write seemed very powerful. Yeah. So they found it interesting. And then they tried to make sense of these letters, right? So eventually they kind of, they, you know, they learned how to write letters so they would represent sounds but not everybody knew how to do that, right? So if you wanted to write somebody's name, some people knew language well enough to do that. But other people saw this, the letters and they thought they kind of just looked like symbols, right? Like this one looks like a person holding their arms up or this one looks like a tree or this one looks like, you know, a stick or a leak. Like I said earlier, you know, this one looks maybe kind of like, makes me think of bullhorns, right? It makes me think of a doomla or an, they say the, the U rune stands for um, the auroch, which was a, an old type of like oxen that was like a wild oxen that probably has gone extinct now. But so that's what people thought the you looked like, like the horns of a cow, right? And so that there's, it has this hieroglyphic function besides just being letters that make sounds, right? Because there's an A rune, that's like the letter A we use. There's a TH rune, and that's the one for Thor because it's TH sound, it's the sound you mm -hmm. use for Thor. But then it's also a rune that they, it looks like a thorn a little bit. So it's a like a stick with a triangle coming out like a thorn, right? So that's something that can harm, that can destroy. Right. And Thor can be very destructive. He can destroy a giant. Right. So that's yeah. the idea. Why, why, why does it make sense? Those ideas all link together. Right. Why is this little shape that represents the th sound a Thor rune? Right. That's, that's my interpretation of it. And so now how do we know these things today? Right. The idea is the other ancient people, they eventually some people learned how to use them as language to write out words, but, and maybe they even, you know, I think the history says they used them in somewhat mundane things like keeping track of how many cattle they have, how many um, things were traded, right? It was just like record keeping, but some people saw it as having this real magical significance and they wanted to know more about that. The way we try to figure it out now is we're trying to backtrack and figure out, was that a thing they did? And, you know, we'll find things like amulets and charms and things that are clearly not words. They're a combination of runes. One would be uh, the one for a G sound is stands for a gift is a G and it's, you know, carries over in old English. Sometimes it carries over into our language too, or old German that carried over into old English. Mm -hmm. So you have a gift rune and then you have a T rune for tear, right? So it's a gift to tear. So if you wanted to sacrifice something to him, you put an X and you put a T shape and that's the X stands for the G sound, but yeah. it's a gift to tear. The way people make sense of it now is both looking at the poems we've talked about, right? From the, uh, the poetic Edda or the prose Edda, I think has things on there too. There's also some other places that have rune poems. So there's an old English rune poem. There's a Icelandic, there's a 
Norway, I believe, are the three different ones. Maybe there's another one. Um, and they'll have these different phrases. Well, and maybe I'll bring it up more in the next episode, what, what some of those other rune poems are outside of um, the poetic Edda. But basically, it'll be like a letter A, and they say A stands for this, right? It's, uh, you know, um, mm-hmm. it'll be like M, and it stands for man is the joy of man, right? That was something kind of like a, a line out of the, the Havamal, right? Um, and that's how you know that's what the M rune stands for, men, stands for, you know, the humanity, something like that. And so, Sean, any, any thoughts you had on what I said, or I know you had some things on some of the history of how it was used as well. But. No, I think I think it's, um, it's interesting to see, like, it, like, I guess it makes sense. When it comes to the runes themselves, which were not widely used, if like you're offering something up to a god, and like there's a simple like th yeah. rune, and you say this is for Thor, I'm gonna put this on this. So like if if you are like maybe if you are like putting something on your boat and you want good weather, are you are you saying like put that thorn rune on the boat? like on the prowl of the boat or something to like wish for good fortune from the gods, if that makes sense. Maybe to get, yeah, to try to get Thor's blessing or something like that. Right. But then that would be the question of, you know, are you, it goes back to like, do you know how well you're using the runes? Cause some people say that same one might also represent the, the giants, right? So maybe you're actually bringing destruction on your boat from the earth giants or water giants, right? Something like that. So mm-hmm. maybe you don't want that thorn rune. You really wanted to make sure you had the S for a sunny day, right? That would be, <laughs> yeah. yeah. If you use the wrong rune, you're going to have a bad time. And then so Thor might be getting the wrong, re- the, the wrong message. Well, yeah. Or Thor is like, you want a thunderbolt? All right. I'll send you a thunderbolt. And now your boat's on fire while you're, you know, it's like, <laughs> yeah, but, but it goes to you, right. Okay. Maybe it sounds a little bit too supernatural to think we can control the weather. But the thing that appeals to me about the runes is like, it's the line that is, was very interesting to me where Odin says, when you drink to drink with earth strength. And what does that mean? Right. It's sort of maybe something like to stay grounded, to not get, you know, the buzz to not like embrace that buzzed feeling when you, when you chug a beer, right. Something like that. But the thought would be if you put there's the B rune stands for the birch tree, which is supposed to represent mother earth essentially. But so if you put a, an earth rune on your, you know, on your mug or you draw it in the foam on your beer, do you, do you have a little more self-control and you don't get so drunk, right? If you put a Thor rune on there, do you get extra drunk? Like, you know, you're wild and you think you're Thor, right? Like that would be, but, but it's the thing you can do, right. You, when you drink sometimes, you know, you're just having a drink and you're, you know, with your coworkers at lunch and you're very calm. And sometimes you have a beer with friends and you're like, you haven't even had that much, but you're, it's, the alcohol has a greater effect. Right. So that's a thing. Yeah. You can actually do that to your mind. Right. It just, it's just a placebo effect. Right. If you want to call it that, but maybe it's rune magic. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's something on the second part of this episode. I, I think it's that it's, it's going to be an interesting topic of conversation um, between us where, if you look at somebody that puts out, like writes something down, like even if it's like a journal or like a rune or something like that's, that is um, advice given to you. Or I guess like when it comes to writing a journal, that's advice that's given to you by a therapist yeah. and it, it's given to you by a therapist because it works. Like you're just writing stuff down and that's giving you power to be a better person. So like, I, I kind of look at the, the runes the same way, but at the same time is, are you better because it's magic and you wrote stuff down or are you kind of like just allowing your, your mind to expand because you're writing stuff down and you're going to be better as a result of that. And so when it comes to like, whether there's magic involved, you know, we can like have many discussions as to like, whether it's a placebo effect, magic. Um, I don't believe it's actually magic, but if you are writing stuff down and you believe it's there, then is that magic? If like you, or if, or I guess the power is there to like, make you better just by writing stuff down or putting it on paper or putting it on a stone? Is that effective? Yeah. I'm, I'm just throwing a completely 
oddball idea, but it's, you know, it's what everything we're talking about leads me up to. So I'm reading another book about um, understanding your shadow. So it ties into all the Carl Jung ideas of what is the shadow, all the things you repress to your unconscious, because you don't want to admit that about yourself, or you're too afraid that you don't have that part, you know, you can't face that part of yourself, right? And so one of the things he talks about, though, is that one thing he says the Catholics very much get right is that they have a lot of the shadow being brought into their service, right? It's not just about um, God is good and everyone feel happy and all your sins are forgiven, but there's all these like penance kind of things, right? Right. The idea would be mm-hmm. you have the wine and you have the bread. It's the body and the blood of Christ, right? And they take the golden goblet and they make a cross rune over the wine. And now it is the blood of Christ. Now we're having, we're engaging in ritual cannibalism on Sunday. And why, why is that a thing we need to do? Besides, you know, that's what the Bible says we should do, right? It's that we, we get all those dark urges out on Sunday, and now we get to actually be a good person through the week, right? Because if yeah. we're just having to always repress everything and always pretend we're a good person, that we're not humans that will eat human flesh and you know, face those terrible ideas that that actually is a part of the human experience too, then you're doing too much repression and the shadow shows up when you don't want it to. So that's the idea that I think in the, you know, the Protestant uh, traditions, it is a little bit more like all the sins are forgiven. So you don't need to go confess so much and dwell on the negative so much, right? But mm-hmm. the, the Catholic mass very much tries, at least they say, historically, it would balance those things more, right? And we talked about they would have the the, the body parts mummified of a, a saint or something like that, right? So that's, <laughs> yeah. um, I never thought of it that way, you know, never gave it that much thought, right? But it's, as I'm reading about some of these pagan practices, right? And that's, you know, talking about taking goat blood and they would sprinkle it around like the way they would do with holy water, right? And it's like all these ritual things that we don't want to face or look at, but do they help us? It's kind of like the idea of catharsis. Do you need to, do you need to act that out sometimes or you just repress it too much? Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's funny, like, like, as you were saying that I was thinking about like the, the Catholic baptism, because like, again, I was raised Catholic and, you know, there's, there's a lot of times where somebody is going to join the Catholic faith as an adult. Yeah. And let's say hypothetically, this person feels like they did not live their life up to their potential. And let's say a priest puts water on them or like pours water on them and then makes the sign of the cross on their forehead, which the sign of the cross, as you mentioned, is like, it looks like a rune. And then a person becomes a better version of themselves. Like as a result of it, is there power in the water? And then this like slight rune that's put on their forehead, you know, probably not. But if the person believes it has power, then like go for it. And by the way, like, this is me saying that I, like, I also think that people of any religion or lack thereof can be jerks. I'm not saying like get baptized to be a good person, but like, you know, if somebody becomes a better person because of that, then, you know, who's to say there's not power in it, you know? Well, and what it, what it says to me is, you know, that there's a lot of people probably are like on board with what you're saying, right. That you make a sign of a cross and that has some type of a power, at least psychological power, if not other powers, but then the, the, the Norse gods are so much fun because you have like 12 or 24 different runes, right? You don't have to just stick mm-hmm. to one rune. You have all these different things, right? So maybe you need <laughs> yeah. to destroy your enemies and defend your family. So Thor is the one to do that, right? The, the sign of the cross kind of helps, but maybe not as well as a Thor rune, right? And then you want to travel the world tree like Odin. And maybe there's a rune that represents Odin. Maybe there's one that represents his horse and something like that. It helps you travel the world tree, right? So you don't, you're not stuck with just one symbol. You got all the, di- all the different symbols, right? That's it's yeah, fun. I think it's very fun. Awesome. Uh, so, David, did you have anything else for this episode? Because I like I know I have some thoughts, but I'm wondering if we should just push those. Yeah, um, no, I think to part that, two that we uh, 
you know, I think this episode, it felt less structured to me, but I kind of like it because we're yeah. talking about all the things that interest us. And now we'll clarify, what do we need to make sure we have in our, our second one on the rooms, right? We've definitely introduced the idea. We've probably left people with as many questions as they have answers, <laughs> but it's, it's a topic that I've read, you know, like two or three books on now and spent a lot of time thinking about, right? Just how, how to make sense of it. It goes back to that idea. What's the whole point of the podcast? Is there any wisdom in it, right? Something you can use in your life besides just, oh, it's, it's kind of fascinating that people used to use carved runes and stuff. Yeah, definitely. So we'll uh, have a part two on the runes. David, you and I can discuss this further, but I think it, it might be something that we split up. I know we spent three episodes on the poem Habamal, um, and that like was more so less than, I guess, less so a story and more so like another huge part of Norse mythology, but like a long poem that yeah. gave out a lot of wisdom, just like the runes do. Um, so we may split it up. Uh, we may do this in two weeks, and next week we may do an episode on Thor, since we did discuss Thor in this episode, and Thor's run-in with the ferryman. Yeah, and it so. sounds like a plan. All right, awesome. Talk to you later. Have a good night. Yeah. Bye.